0: When you actually put something out there and you get slapped in the face by your customer it's quite a sobering thought and it focuses minds like nothing else and failure's painful i struggle with it. i've failed so many things but the faster you fail the more you can go into the next thing and i kept saying best way to be successful it is a bit of a numbers game you have to kiss a lot of frogs
1: Welcome back to this week's episode of the High Performance Leader, the podcast for leaders working in complex, challenging environments to gain insights and ideas, which help you increase your impact without burning out, and to help you build a high performance culture in your team. I'm your host, Jimmy Burrows, and if you're new to the High Performance Leader, make sure you subscribe or follow so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes before you put down your device. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of The Ways of Working podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome a fascinating guest today, Colin Duff, the CEO of Mosaic Innovation. Colin is an innovation and cultural transformation consultant with over 20 years of experience helping leading global brands such as Hewlett-Packard, Marriott, PepsiCo, Barclays, and the list goes on to crack their toughest innovation challenges. He's going to be sharing today some war stories, actionable insights, and some not so obvious solutions, which are going to help you to innovate and change your culture to be higher performance. Colin, welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me, Jimmy.
1: Colin, uh, when we had our initial conversation, I was struck by the alignment and overlaps that we had when it comes to thinking about innovation of culture and innovation in general. But I, I wanted to pick your brains initially on how you ended up in this world of innovation and working with these incredible brands.
0: Well, it's um, I began my career in an energy company, which certainly wasn't the most innovative in the marketing team. i always felt like a, a square peg, a round hole. I was always the one trying to do all these crazy things, and they were saying, just on with your job. And then I stumbled across, I'd never heard it was such a thing some innovation consultants that came in and I had an absolute ball working with them. And when they were leaving, I said, please take me with you. I really want to join you. And um, after much coercion, they did. And I got to join this really funky agency working on what does the future of vodka look like? How do you sell more Viagra to guys over in Russia? As well as some mundane things like insurance and pensions. And I just found it as a... Want to be social scientists? I guess absolutely fascinated to go out, research these subjects, and then again, as at the time, I want to be entrepreneur to actually go and build stuff and make stuff and just really have a lot of fun. And that was really on the what I'd call inventing site of innovation, the consultant. And I kind of fell into what I characterize the cultural transformation when people started asking me, "How did we do what you do?" And that manifested in some training and then actually more recently about half of our business is in an upskilling and it's mainly learned by doing and i'd say um, what distinguishes us is if you're teaching people well the training will take you a very small part of the way really it should be indistinguishable like a real project from a, a cultural development project and that's the thing i see in the market when many people are hiring others it's very happy clappy And it's these people coming in with endless templates and canvases, which I have some suspicions about because I think sometimes it's stymies thinking instead of actually showing people what greatness looks like. I'll say we always attain greatness, but that's always the aspiration is to achieve an end product that's an innovation rather than just to take people through a a few days at the office.
1: That's so interesting. And I'm very aligned on the idea of a preordained solution or a preordained template, because as you say, it stymies the conversation and the natural organic nature of innovation and cultural shift. When it comes to the companies that you've worked with and what you're seeing in the marketplace right now, how innovative do you think most companies are?
0: So, we work almost exclusively with very large enterprises, and probably I'd say uncharitably, our characterized is as legacy, meaning they weren't born digital. Um, and many of them have been around for decades as well. So, it's a mixed picture, to be honest. In parts of the organization, there is some real magic out there, but I guess as an overall, I'm not very innovative. I keep reading stats like I think 90% of execs are saying. Innovations are top priority, and almost the same number are really disappointed with the performance. And it's all the stuff you would imagine, the kind of bureaucratic blockers, the slowness, the risk aversion, the myopia, and those are the kind of things that we try and tackle. These big organizations, they're built very well for efficiency, to execute at scale and do very incremental things. As soon as you want to do something when it's harder to quantify the impact or there's a bit of risk. Or you can quantify the market size. I mean, imagine for Marriott, which is one of her clients, where Airbnb was emerging and saying, well, what's the size of the uh, couch, the sofa share market? I mean, practically zero. But if you'd spoke to the people involved at the time, the buzz was incredible, it was palpable. So it's trying to bring in non traditional forms and particularly qualitative data in the early stages. Andy Grove, the former CEO of Intel, he says, snow always melts at the edges. And it's trying to get them excited and help them distinguish between the noise. because There's so many fans and some of the the systemic changes that are happening, which is quite hard to do. I
1: want to go back. You said something fascinating there. Snow always melts at the edges. What what does that mean and how does that apply to what we're talking about here?
0: Well, I guess it's, it's the point. I mean, if this stuff is shown up in the numbers you've typically missed the boat, certainly on any major innovation. And that's what most large organisations do, is they look at the market reports and they scan them and they say, oh, well, there's this emerging sector now. Yeah, you can belatedly get in there through a sub m a but by the time you start building for it, someone else is typically in your lunch. So you need to be more switched on to these early-stage smoke signals. So great innovation insights are much more like stories statistics and i think there's a lot of people in innovation particularly large organizations at the top who've came through a quantitative financial background they've got the mba so they're absolute masters of quantitative data assessment but they've got zero skill in looking at some of these more qualitative and um, non-traditional forms and there was a, a great strategist roger barton and he said his best piece of advice for these guys was to do a similar course to learn about bit and he said why the hell would we do that and he said it's because you need to value more that what you can't understand because wine is quite you know esoteric and subjective and that's often what we have to do in innovation and culture we're actually doing a project just now part of it the have asked is culture to look about is this large traditional organization's office and we interviewed a few colleagues but some focus groups and everyone says it's uninspired and it's sterile, it's corporate, it's traditional. But then, try to go to a finance strategy and say quantify the impact of us putting it. And you say, well, we can obviously, you know, give you you will a thirty percent more productivity and twenty percent more ideas. You have to actually make a value judgment to say if you want to be a winner, tech coach, which is the aspiration, and you're innovating in a truly sterile environment. Well, what do you expect in terms of talent, in terms of output? You know, no wonder no one's staying past five o'clock when you need them all to be hunkered
1: down. So interesting, you know, thinking about, and I completely agree with you, many of the CEOs and the CFOs have come up through either an operations where it's managing the numbers very carefully or a finance where it's managing the numbers extremely carefully background. And so this can create a real resistance to, as you say, the smoke signals. So there is that quantitative resistance to innovation. What, what are some of the other barriers that we see that stops organisations innovating?
0: My pet actually is there's this culture of ideaholics, as I would call it, and people are confusing the very front end early stages of innovation and brainstorming with substantive innovation. So I see these people in endless loops of, and they've actually been instances great at brainstorming, and really interesting ideas, but they just don't really know how to make them happen, and it's such a waste of potential. So, it's things like the ability to prototype, and they may only have a very small group of people whether it's digital or physical who can build things, or it's the ability to run lean experiments. So, to have what are the big uncertainties of how do we trial them quickly and differently. And that still is interesting design thinking, which is a human centric approach to design. I'd say most large organizations have got at least some competence on that, maybe a seven out of 10. Lean Startup, which is for your more cutting edge, breakthrough innovation with high uncertainty, I'd say most of the large organizations I've dealt with up to about a four. Um, It's just not in their DNA to be entrepreneurial. They'll often say, well, we do that we do what you're talking about i mean it only took us six months to test this thing at 100k and i'm thinking oh i was thinking we could edit this in like six days for 600 it's that kind of 10x magnitude where being entrepreneurial is still very difficult i remember working with one client a lot named that we were doing a retail project and we're testing this new in-store concept and we said oh we can't do it I said, why is it? Oh well, the polo shirts haven't showed up, so we were We can't be branded. I'm okay. Well, we've got the T-shirt factory down the road, right? And also the packaging hasn't arrived. but well, we can go to a printer and print it. And I think when you've got a lot of people who've grown up as I say, who are very book smart, and uh, maybe they've got their MBA, and there can be almost a snobbishness to innovation or certain executional elements because often it's not glamorous. The kind of challenges I have, you know, are things like again, in-store, the Wi-Fi doesn't work, or, um, you know, we've built this new prototype and didn't know that the browser this company uses because financial services isn't compatible, we need messy workarounds, right? We're having to bring in, go into these, like, uh, open um, platforms and get somebody to work on overnight. And it's a very different mindset and skill set from someone who sits in an office and does lots of PowerPoint does lots of Excel, this kind of real world problem solving. Um, as also meeting customers. And I'm amazed as another, you talk about barriers, the amount of times talk to large organizations and I'll say to them, when was the last time you met a customer? And I'll say, what do you mean? Like, why would I meet a customer? And I'm like, but you're leading this innovation effort. Oh well that's for the market research team. And I'll say, no, that's for you. You should probably be doing it like weekly or or monthly. And they just don't even know how to access these people. Like, well, how how would I recruit them? I mean, they might be doing some user testing. So I think that's another big barrier. And if you want to be innovative, you have to be customer-centric and if you want to be customer-centric, you have to meet customers regularly, but having the mechanisms to do that still doesn't exist. Uh, particularly in B2B, there's a real fear that if people interact with these people, that they might start pulling accounts or being embarrassed, and it's the opposite. Whenever I've met a B2B customer and taken an early stage idea, they're delighted to be engaged. They say, we don't usually see this until you've launched it and it's half the time not what we wanted.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Um, So what I'm hearing is there's a, a tension between innovation and maybe risk perception or risk management, because we don't wanna get it wrong. We don't wanna start without the pair of those shirts. We don't wanna go without the packaging. We don't wanna do that messy, clunky workaround because it's not perfect. Because if I make a mistake, it could be terminal or career limiting. Hey there, Jimmy here, and I just wanted to drop into this episode and let you know we're extremely grateful for all of the incredible reviews and feedback that we're getting about the Ways of Working podcast. We've managed to get ourselves amazingly into the top 10% globally of all management podcasts, which is an absolute dream for me to be able to share the Ways of Working message across a wider community. I wanted to share a quick review from one of our listeners because it's absolutely incredible and inspiring to those people that we're trying to reach and communicate with. From Pinnacle Coach, Jimmy is a great natural interviewer and his background helps him to ask some really good questions. I've enjoyed a couple of the episodes from here and always come away feeling inspired for my aim work. Pinnacle Coach, thank you so much for that incredible review. We really appreciate it. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform of choice to the ways of working podcast and we'll see you soon take care how do you work with if i'm ceo listening to this podcast and i'm thinking well i really want to create a culture of innovation in my business but my people and maybe i am too scared to get it wrong how do i start that ball rolling with my teams with my leadership team and to encourage that appetite for innovation
0: Yeah, I mean I think that the risk is an interesting one and that it's usually overstated. Now there are a few select industries, healthcare would spring to mind, and others where health and safety is at the foreground, where there are special situations. But I think the first thing we have to do is actually to quantify the risk. So if we're going to be running a trial, localize it as much as possible, whether that be geographically or um, in one city or town by channel, you want to shrink it down to something that's manageable. And I always encourage people to think, what well, is the worst thing that can happen here? So being prepared to compensate customers if the thing doesn't work out or to have some kind of a manual workaround. And the other one as well, and I've seen lots of companies do this really successfully. So first, the, Rep, the bank, mm-hmm. as an example, or Gillette has even gotten in the act. They'll create a lapse brand or a sub-brand and they'll actually tell people this is the innovation engine, we're experimenting with new tools, and they'll either get a population of customers to opt in and say, do you want to be part of trial and experiment with these new products, or even just having the brand and saying, okay, you are buying something that's a, a work in progress, so you're going after that more early adopter um, cohort, but a bit more forgiving when things don't work exactly as planned. The other way around it is that there are times when the brand risk really will be quite great so i can think of the story of um, volkswagen and they mm-hmm. wanted in the early days of um, telematics what they were sh- uh, tracking vehicles and doing gps and things in the uh, lorry market they didn't want to go public with this in case it failed and competitors stole it so they actually used gumtree at the time so in silver estates and they said we're a startup we've got this really cool thing do you want to try it we'll give you a couple hundred dollars for participating so they did it anonymously and there are instances where you can do that kind of thing, or whether it's like a pop-up store as well. There's a platform we've used called Appear here in the UK. So if you want to rent a prime retail store for as little as a week, you can actually get it. It's very like and simple to do signage. And even there's online clients testing new concepts. And I've said, I recommend doing it in a physical format, because then you actually get to intercept people, and you get the context of the how they Interact with a brand or a proposition, whereas online you just get the data. It's uh, not quite as rich when you just find like out that people buy it or not. So there are just all kinds of tools of ways you can um, limit things to, to avoid risk.
1: And I love that, the idea of actually just getting started with and finding a way to actually learn some practical lessons versus hypothesizing or theorizing. But actually, let's just try some stuff in real life and work around it. But as you say, mitigating the brand risk and the failure risk by doing it in a safe context or a safer
0: context. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's nothing better than getting your hands dirty. So I remember, in the shipping industry, we were going to test a bunch of smart IoT products, and we were very confident, we knew the technology, and we were very smart. And then we got on board and discovered quite quickly the Bluetooth low energy that was so good doesn't work when there's a bunch of steel around it. The um, sensor we were going to put into a rope and I'm really embarrassed to admit this, to measure the tension so that we detect it snapped. tried putting that through a winch and cracked, right? And it went on and on and on. Oh, explosives testing. You didn't think to configure your gear. Unfortunately, we'd only spent a few weeks and got these really crude prototypes using off-the-shelf components, so it wasn't a great waste. But it's the kind of thing that a bunch of smart people, as we thought we were, you could have spent months until you realized, you know, even some of the human behavioral elements as well that you wouldn't think. So again, with the smart rope example, we were envisaging the crew would open up the rope and put this sensor in and wrap something around it. They're telling us, do you know how busy we are? Why would we do that, right? Or like, it was, you know, small stuff that you just, I I, I describe it as thought land. And you can have thought experiments as as much as you want, and there's some value to that. But until you get in the real world, which is much more messy, you'll never know. And when teams tell me they're in Discovery for three months, or they've been working on something for six months with no real world data, it's clear they're lost. Right, and that's still the way many teams are operating as, let's say, theorists rather than professionals.
1: I really like that, and it reminds me very much of the the world of the military where I came from, where you had to do rehearsals before you went out and did an operation because there was a plan. would would do a a great deal of planning, create a strategy, brief the plan, and then. We go rehearse it because as soon as you started rehearsing you'd be like oh that person's not going to reach this point in this time or something's going to go wrong or there's a ditch we didn't anticipate or whatever it might be and the same thing applies when you're trying to innovate right there's things you don't even think of because you haven't thought of them unconsciously ignorant about them
0: yeah massively so and and you're talking about you know desirability so there's do people want it and often they do but viability as well like are they going to pay for it I remember early in my career Innovated for assisted living. So, elderly people in their home alone, if they fall over, those kind of solutions, the trick mats, everyone loved it. And then we spent months and months developing this thing. No one would pay for it. So, all these adult children in the UK are quite wealthy. We're targeting the middle class. But because there's a public healthcare system here, everyone's saying, oh, well, they should pay. Why would that pay? And the public healthcare system, well, we're not paying for this innovation. And we spent you know, I'm embarrassed to say about nine months just because everyone told us they loved it. But with no real world, you know, tell someone's putting their hand in their pocket for some money, you've you proven nothing. So,
1: Yeah, that is fascinating, isn't it? There's almost solving a problem that isn't, a solution for a problem that doesn't exist and then a solution for a problem that nobody wants to buy. Uh Two different conversations to be
0: having. I'll, I'll give you one of my favourite ever insights was our work. So in um it was for a big drinks producer and they invented this product called liquid tea so rather than a tea bag they squeezed the tea leaf like you would with wine and made this purified tea and we took this concept we developed it, and everyone loved it in this focus groups with focus group and our lab big insight for me is no one wanted a second cup right this thing was just horrible so it was really clever and it was fresh, and it was health and it was that but I think there's a lack of common sense in innovation as well. There's a lot of times I'm seeing very elegant charts about, oh, there's that X opportunity space here and it's all color coded and stuff. But you always want, like, you know, your mom or dad to come in and say, like, what are you talking about, right? So I had someone who'd invented this amazing event management platform, bells and whistles, and it was this SaaS product that's going to change the world. They said, there's nothing like it, no competitors like it. I was Like, are you kidding? There's Wix, there's Squarespace, there's Event Space, there's Meeple. Oh, but that doesn't do what we do. And I'm like, that's a really naive assumption, right? It does do it what you do it. because you know the intimate, you're an engineer, you've fallen in love with its really sophisticated product. But discovering and events and buying tickets, the market's saturated, like, but it's just an example of how easy it is to lose perspective. And that's something that I've done several times as well. Is the, being you an doesn't know, make you—you do fall in love with your own ideas.
1: So there's some really good guardrail parameters that you've suggested there around not falling in love with your own ideas, testing it for viability with other people who might not be experts in your field, might not even be your targeted user base, but could be just a a mar and par user that you haven't even considered. But does it is it self-explanatory enough? Is the innovation obvious enough, simple enough to understand? What are some of the other small wins or momentum builders that you could recommend for leadership teams who are trying to create a culture of innovation?
0: You know, the, there's the kind of quick fix sugar rush stuff. And I know that sounds like a really cynical way to do it, but it does kind of work, right? So if you're looking to galvanize people and build momentum, there is nothing better for a large group of people than a hackathon. So you give people one or two days, you give them a six innovation challenge. So... There was a company I worked with in the UK, a retailer called Argos, and we ran out on how do we win in Christmas? And we had this great idea for a kid's wish list app, which at the time was the first of its kind, and that directly came out with it. And you supercharged. We had about 10 teams of seven people. So 70 people who all just knew we'd set up this digital function. And it just really signaled the attempt. We got the executive in for a kind of what we call Dragon's Day or Shark Tank if you're in the UK where we would so that kind of stuff, it's a momentary thing, but it really builds energy. On a smaller basis, team, if you want, a more intense, a design sprint, which is a method whereby a team mm-hmm. of about seven people get together for a week and they develop a solution to a problem. Usually it's a clickable prototype although it could be a physical thing and test it in front of customers. Again, the intensity and momentum that builds. I think momentum is the most important thing in innovation. In fact, I used to, when I was brought in to look at innovation culture, I used to use one of the very traditional big style consultancy diagnostic tools that loads of questions about leadership capability systems. I stopped doing that and instead I say, give us five of your big innovation projects and I want you to tell me how long they took and I want you to tell me how long you think they should take optimally if you were doing them well. And that for then unpacking the reasons why there is no better way to understand the distinctions in an organization. And it's actually a very objective way of doing it because rather than whether a leader's good or not, it's a good way of building coalescing people around. That took a year. Why could we not do that in three months, right? And then you say, well, why can't we? And it's because of what's X, Y, and Z. How do we solve those? So that's where I will all start is, you know, I think Eric Rieser, we're going to forget his quote now. He says, "Only the fast win. If you're a startup, you've got your funding and you've got your, you know, your runway of X weeks. In a big sleepy organization, you know, you've got infinite time often, of and that's not right. So it's how do you move faster? And the fastest will win. And also, in momentum is kind of self fulfilling. The faster you go, the more opportunity you get to pivot, um, because you spend less money." And just one other related tip as well is the innovation failure rate is typically around about 80%. It depends on the type of innovation and the, the industry, etc. There is no way to bring that down. Even the best innovators, the Googles, the Amazons, etc., will sit around that level. The only thing you can do is to fail faster, right? So it's the only way you'll fail faster as well is, as I say, to get out of thoughtland, And that includes focus groups and interviews. They're fine in week one, two, maybe even up to week four. But beyond that, do not be cute, confusing an anecdote for data. And I think most people still do. Oh, they love this, this person, right? Bring me some skin in the game. What have you done? So if it's B2B, have you got a for from 10? If it's consumer, have you got a landed page and smoke tested it with some, you know, pay-per-click paper, advertising? Like, even if you've sold it to friends and family, if you tell me you've got a few hundred people on it, that is at least a positive Data point in the early stages, but I can't stress enough—it's it the biggest um, failure animation I see is people continuing without any uh, real evidence. A canvas we talked to at the start is in no way evidence. It's, it's just, just wishful thinking.
1: Yeah, no, I'm so aligned on this idea of, and we see this in culture transformation quite frequently when you're trying to innovate culture to become a more high performance focus in an organization and everybody agrees in principle, there's a good thing. And then you go roll out all these initiatives and then people are like, oh, I'm actually too busy to do that. There's no skin in the game. As you said, there's no, no commitment to taking on high performance behaviors or ways of working. Instead, they're just wanting something different, but there is no time really and no real desire to change. It's hard to change. Amazing, Colin. Um, this has been such an interesting walk through the world of innovation and some some fascinating stories shared. If people want to get in touch with you and learn a little bit more about what you do, uh, what is the best way for them to
0: reach out? Yeah, so it's uh, mosaic-innovation.com, and we'll get a bunch of toolkits and brochures so you can see what we're all about and feel free to contact us through the the website. We'd be we welcome to conversation.
1: Amazing. And if you package up a key takeaway that you want the audience to come away with today, what would that be?
0: You know, I, I think probably this, I might have said it before, is how do we go out of thoughtland? If you're sitting around strategizing at workshops and writing PowerPoints, how do you get beyond that and do something a bit more entrepreneurial? And it's, if you're not, there's a saying, if you're not embarrassed by your first minimum viable product or the first thing you put out, You've taken too long. So I really always challenge clients when they say, Do you know what you're right, we can do it in three months. I say, What well, can you do in three days? And oh, that's ridiculous. Okay, well, five days, right? And you know, it might be something like really rudimentary that it's always better to get something quick. There's a certain audacity of zero before you start. It's all this wishful thinking and, you know, grand plans. When you actually put something out there and you get slapped in the face by your customer, it's quite a sobering thought and it focuses minds like nothing else. And failure's painful. I still, you know, I struggle. with it, I've failed so many things. But the faster you fail, the more you can go into the next thing. And I kept saying the best way to be successful, it is a bit of a numbers game. You have to kiss a lot of frogs. If you're doing what to innovations a year, you're premium.
1: Excellent. Colin, thank you so much for your time. This has been absolutely fascinating and uh, really appreciate the wisdom you shared with the Ways of Working podcast. Speak to you soon.
0: Pleasure. Thank you, Jimmy. All the best.
1: That's it for this week's episode of The High Performance Leader. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop a review on whichever platform you listened on. We really appreciate it and it helps us to connect with new listeners. Also, if you haven't already, head to jimmyburrows.com and download a copy of my latest bestseller, Beat Burnout, Ignite Performance. It's the leader's playbook for building a high-performance culture and is packed with practical action tips to get you started. Stay tuned for next week's episode of Game-Changing Insights and Ideas on the High-Performance Leader.